Welcome to Cross Communities Podcast. We're glad you're here to listen today. We hope that today's message will strengthen your faith and help you to love God and people more. Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. That's where we're going to continue to be this morning. But we are and have been in the middle of a series on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, taking a look at this upside-down kingdom that Jesus has invited us to all be a part of. And I hope that you're all enjoying this series. I know that I am. Every Sunday, I come away encouraged and challenged humbled and convicted, and as we wrestle with these words of Jesus that he has given to us, and as we find life in those words for us each week. And so I'm excited about our passage this morning because in it, Jesus again says some really upside-down stuff. He says some things that are incredibly difficult for us to hear and to live, and he expects us to take him seriously. And so we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 5. This morning, verses 38 through 48. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and send rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people... What are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of God for the people of God. And our response is always, thanks be to God. If you spent any time, almost at all, around Christianity or the church, you probably know that Jesus taught that we are to love our enemies, that we are to turn the other cheek, that we are to pray for those who persecute the church. But in some ways, these things that Jesus said are so familiar to us that they've kind of lost their edge. We don't always recognize how radical and upside down the words of Jesus that we just read really are. These are words that Jesus intended to color and to shape this kingdom that he came to bring. And the reality is, if we are being honest, these words seem kind of impractical and maybe even counterintuitive for those of us who live in the real world. Love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Pray for those who oppose you. These are some really difficult teachings that Jesus is bringing to us this morning. And so I'm excited to get into these this morning. But this spring and summer, our youth group here at Cross Community spent some time gathering on Zoom as a way to get together during the months of quarantine. And one week, our discussion was based on these words from Matthew 5. And we began to talk about how we decide who our enemies are. And so I asked our students to give me some reasons that someone might become our enemy. 
And so I have to say I was really impressed with the list of answers that our students came up with. So I wanted to share a few of those with us this morning. They said someone might be your enemy if they hurt you or if they want to hurt you or someone you love. Someone might be your enemy if they are different than you, if they look different than you or they think differently than you. And someone might be your enemy if they pose a threat to you. These are some really good answers from our young people. We should listen to them. They have lots of things to teach us, some great answers about how we acquire enemies. And I think if we're being honest, and I include myself in this, when we hear the word enemy, it sounds like a pretty strong term. I don't know that many of us feel like we really have a lot of enemies. But I think if we're being honest, there are a lot of people that we strongly disagree with. There are a lot of people that we really don't enjoy. There are people who look nothing like us and act nothing like us. And the reality is there are a lot of people in our lives that we hold at an arm's length simply because they are different than us. And if we are lucky enough to live peaceably and to successfully avoid the majority of conflicts in our life, we still live in a world that does its best to suggest to us who our enemies should be. And sometimes this happens in the most subtle and even innocent ways. Um, We have a newborn in our house, and so we watch a little bit more TV and some more movies than we we have as we entertain our four-year-old. And so uh, Disney movies have come up a little bit more often. If you've seen any of the classic Disney movies, they almost all follow this same story arc, right? And within the first five or ten minutes, you were introduced to the adversary of the story. It doesn't matter if it's Scar from The Lion King or Prince John from Robin Hood or Cruella DeVille. You are very quickly introduced to the enemy. And it's never subtle, right? No one ever meets Sid from Toy Story and wonders, I wonder if that guy is going to be the hero by the end of the movie, right? Nobody meets Jafar and thinks, man, I hope that Jasmine falls in love with that guy. We are very clearly told from the very beginning of these stories who we are to identify as the bad guy, as the enemy. And so Jesus is telling us, love your enemy. But even the most innocent things, our Disney movies, are telling us from the very beginning who we are to identify as enemies. Sometimes our allegiances help us to identify who our enemies are. I know that we have a lot of Lions fans in our church. And so I'm sorry that you have to go through that every single fall. Um, But as a Packers fan, uh, I can tell you that the hatred that we share for each other's teams is mutual, right? And if you're a Lions fan, it is only natural that you hate the Packers. If you happen to be a Cubs fan, you hate the Cardinals. If you are a Michigan fan, you hate Michigan State. You hate Ohio State. If you're a Michigan fan right now, you may just simply hate Saturdays. It's true. Sometimes our allegiances naturally provide us with enemies. We may not have chosen them intentionally, but our allegiance to one thing can naturally put us at odds with something else. And then, of course, it has been election season, and I hear that there is absolutely no tension around this subject at all, so I figured it was safe for this morning. Um, but in the weeks leading up to the vote, everyone got the wonderfully excessive number of campaign mailers and emails and phone calls helping you to only clearly see the worst side of everyone. We all got those, and this has been a process that has not only 
from one side, all sides have done this, told us who our enemies should be, who we should fear, who we should oppose. The world that we live in does not naturally tell us and help us to love our enemy. And this morning, I think if we're being honest, most of us know who our enemies are. We might not use that term. We might not call them our enemies, but they are the people that we just can't seem, for whatever reason, to see eye to eye with. Maybe we even avoid spending time with them because they're different than us. They think differently than we do. Maybe they even pose a threat to us in some way. But most of us are very aware of who our enemies are. And in our passage this morning from Matthew chapter 5, the people who've crowded in to hear Jesus are also very aware of who their enemies are. I'm sure each person in this crowd probably had their own tensions and people that they didn't get along with, but the elephant in the room, the enemy that they would have had come to mind immediately when Jesus began to teach about enemies would have been the Romans. Because Rome was hated. They were hated for a lot of things, but they were hated for their oppressive control, their corruption, taxes, the way that they influenced how people could worship, the pagan culture that was seeping into that first century world. Everybody knew who the enemy was. This was not a secret. There were lots of different thoughts on how the Romans should be dealt with. Some people thought that cooperation with them was the best case scenario at this time. Other people thought that God would deliver them from the Romans. Other people thought that withdrawing and running away was a good option. And then the more extreme groups, including the Zealots, believed that a violent revolution was the only solution that could be had. So there were lots of different opinions on what should be done with the Romans, but almost everyone agreed that Roman, the Roman society was the enemy. And the last thing that this crowd probably wanted to hear was that they were to love their enemy. Because they probably felt pretty justified in their hatred for the Romans. They may have even felt that Rome was an enemy of God and his purposes for Israel. They didn't want to hear this. But it is to this group of people that Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor. And hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. And this morning, it is interesting. It's interesting that Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, because it causes us to ask the question, well, well, who said that? Who or what has been saying that you are to love your neighbor, but hate your enemy? Because when I think, I think when we hear Jesus say, you have heard it said, we might assume that he's written, or he's referring to something written in the law. But you can search high and low in the Old Testament, and you will not find a passage that says this. There's no quotes, or really even a general teaching that suggests that the people of Israel are to love their neighbors, but hate their enemies. There are a few places where you, you could probably come to that conclusion if you really wanted to. But when Israel was at its best, when they were healthiest, they understood themselves to be light and to be love for their foreigners and for for outsiders. And so Jesus isn't misremembering the Old Testament here when he says, you have heard that it was said. He's saying something else, and it's really important what he's saying. 
He's saying that at some point, whether it was the tradition among the people, or maybe even more likely the intentional distortion of the law by the religious leaders, maybe to fit a particular agenda, you have been told that you are to love your neighbor but hate your enemy. Things have gone off the rails, and Jesus wants the people to know that this is not how he has designed love to work. He says, if you are going to be a part of my kingdom, you must love both your neighbor and your enemy. And Jesus is simply reminding Israel who they were always called to be. Light and love for all people. The Old Testament is full of examples of God's call to be generous to outsiders, to foreigners, and even to enemies. Proverbs twenty four seventeen says, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Proverbs 25, a chapter later, chapter later 21 to 22 says, If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Now, this morning, I wanted to pause for just a second here, and so stick with me as we go through this. And I want to look at this line about heaping burning coals on our enemy's head. Okay? Because if you were like me, I have always assumed that this was kind of a way to get back at your enemies. That you're being kind to them but you're also kind of sticking it to them and showing that you were the better person. You're loving your enemy, but you are also heaping burning coals on their head. But that's not what this passage is saying at all. It's not a twisted way of getting revenge. When this proverb was written, people heated their homes and cooked with fire. And so sometimes your fire would go out in the middle of the night, and so you would need to go to your neighbor's house and borrow a coal or two to get your fire started again. And so this proverb is teaching that if your enemy's fire goes out and they come asking for a coal to relight their fire, instead of turning them away or just giving them a coal or two to help them out, we are to be generous. In the Middle East, heavy burdens were also carried on a person's head. And so it's this idea that we should keep just a few coals for ourselves, but then give so many away to our enemy that the weight requires them to carry this container on their head. And so in loving our enemies, we should heap burning coals on their head. It's quite a bit different than setting someone's head on fire, isn't it? And so Jesus, in this Sermon on the Mount, is calling people to live this kind of radical love, love that is extended even to enemies. It's how God has always wanted his people to live. Always putting the needs of others above our own, even if those people are our enemies. It's why Jesus says, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone wants to take your shirt, give them your coat as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Jesus' point here in saying these things is not to say that his followers are going to be pushovers. It's not what he's saying. Jesus' words here on the Sermon on the Mount are to help us see what the kingdom of God is going to look like. And Jesus has no interest at all in hiding just how upside down it is going to seem to live the way that he is calling us to live. And of course, we know that Jesus didn't just talk about this. This isn't just something he taught. It's something that he lived. It's who he was. 
He shared meals with tax collectors and sinners, and then he invited them to stick around. He willingly shared his last meal with a man he knew would betray him. He carried his own cross. And then when they nailed him to it, he prayed for them. And he offered forgiveness for those people. And so Jesus is very clear that this kingdom is going to be one that crosses boundaries and barriers. It's going to crush our categories. It's going to cause us to have compassion for outsiders. It's going to cause you to love people that you never dreamed that you could love. Jesus says, somebody told you, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, in my kingdom, if you're going to be a part of what I'm doing in the world, you must love your enemies. It's pretty clear that Jesus' kingdom is a different one. It's really different. And sometimes I think we struggle with different. We naturally fear the things that we don't understand. And people who think and act differently than we do, they make us nervous. And so they can slowly end up on our list of enemies. And while Jesus has invited us to participate in his kingdom and help build a kingdom where all are welcomed and all are loved, our fear of what is different can cause us to miss this kingdom. And we can begin to build a castle instead of a kingdom. Let me explain that a little bit. Bob Goff is one of my favorite authors right now, and he's got a way of saying things that are really simple, but also uh, really, really profound. He wraps things up in story and humor, and you always come away uh, pretty convicted as you're learning, leaning into learning what you should do as you follow Jesus. But one of his books is called Everybody Always. And as you could guess from the title, Bob talks about how the love of Christ should compel us to love everybody always. And in this book, he talks about the difference between building the kingdom that Jesus came to bring and building a castle. He says, castles have moats to keep creepy people out, but kingdoms have bridges to let everyone in. Castles have dungeons for people who've messed up, but kingdoms have grace. Thomas Aquinas, the 13th century theologian, also compared a fearful person to a castle under attack. He noted that when we feel threatened by our enemies, our natural response is to retreat behind our castle walls, to close the gates and fixate on our own survival. And when we do this, we become incapable of empathy and generosity. Aquinas said, fear is such a powerful emotion for humans that when we allow it to take us over, it drives the compassion right out of our hearts. Castles have moats to keep creepy people out, but kingdoms have bridges to let everyone in. Castles have dungeons for people who've messed up, but kingdoms have grace. Jesus is pretty clear that he came to build a kingdom and not a castle. And that God's love has no boundaries. You can resist that love, but it, it doesn't matter who you are, what you're like. God's love is for everyone. And so then as his followers, our love is to be for everyone, including our enemies. Because the kingdom that Jesus came to bring, it is bigger than our personal offenses. As big or small as they may be, as, as justified as we may feel that they are. And while we may view someone as our adversary, God still views them as his child. 
In our church, we believe in something called prevenient grace. And it's just a fancy way of saying that we believe that God is at work in people's lives and offering them his grace and his love before they may be ready to make a decision to follow him. And the scary thing is that also means that God is extending that grace and love to them before we decide that we like them. And as Pastor Jeff reminded us last week, people are God's priority. And other human beings, even if we consider them to be our enemies, are made in the image of God and we are called to love those people. And so what are we supposed to do with this? Practically, what does this mean for us? Because living this way, beyond the words on the page, is really hard. And I think it's okay, and I think it may even be necessary for us to admit just how difficult this can be. And Jesus knew how hard it was to live like this. He knows that we naturally love our friends. We love the people who are like us. We love the people who are on our team, who agree with us. Jesus says it's easy to love the people who are just like you. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? But Jesus is calling us as his church to do the hard, hard work of loving the people who are different than us, listening to the people who are different than us, and maybe even caring about the people who are different than us. I've already told you how much I love Bob Goff, and as optimistic as he is about our ability to love others, he's also a realist in that he acknowledges how hard loving some people really is. He says something, and I want to read it for us this morning. He says, when I meet someone who is hard to get along with, I think, can I love that person for the next 30 seconds? While they continue to irritate me, I find myself counting silently, 27, 28, 29 and before i get to 30 i i say to myself okay i'm going to love that person for 30 more seconds i try to love the person in front of me the way that jesus did 30 seconds at a time i try to see the difficult people in front of me for who they could be someday and i keep reminding myself of that possibility for 30 seconds at a time i have to say the first time i read that I thought, well, that seems kind of artificial. That seems kind of forced, right? It's not the way I want my relationships to be. But I've come to think that loving difficult people intentionally like this, it it doesn't make it less genuine. It just means that we are allowing the love of Christ to compel us to love people that we, on our own, wouldn't love. It just means that we are allowing Christ to work in our lives and, and move beyond barriers and borders in our categories. Because when we think that we know the limits of God's love, he tends to continue to surprise us. As we close this morning, I want to share something with you. These words that we read from Jesus this morning were written down by a guy named Matthew. And we know Matthew was a tax collector. And tax collectors were generally disliked, right? Nobody likes paying taxes, but tax collectors in the first century were known for being dishonest and wealthy. They would take what they needed and then a little bit extra for themselves. So nobody liked tax collectors. But the hatred for someone like Matthew would have potentially been even greater 
Because Matthew was a Jew. A Jew who was, he had sold out to the Romans. He was now benefiting from the enemy. He was a traitor who had joined the other team. But Jesus finds Matthew at his tax collector booth while collecting taxes for the enemy, and he invites him to follow him and to join his band of followers, a group that included Simon the Zealot, who would have absolutely seen Matthew as his worst enemy. They were from opposite ends of the political spectrum. They would have naturally hated one another. But Jesus invited both of them. Jesus extended his love to both of them because their greater allegiance to Jesus, their greater love for Jesus, allowed them to see past their differences and to really become brothers in what is this upside-down kingdom that Jesus came to bring. Jesus knows that our natural tendency is to hate and to reject and at best dismiss our enemies. That is what we naturally do. But Jesus came to say that the kingdom of heaven dismisses no one and that in the kingdom of heaven, your enemy sometimes even becomes your brother. And so this week, as your enemies come to mind, as you enter into those most difficult relationships and those conversations, may we remember just how upside down the kingdom of Jesus is and how far-reaching his love really is. And as we strive to be people who participate in this kingdom and not a castle, may we find ways to build bridges to even those most difficult people. And love them. Maybe it's just 30 seconds at a time. Not because they like us. Not because we like them. Not because they agree with us. But because God loves them. And he matters. And they matter to him. And therefore they matter to us. And may we remember that the kingdom of heaven is so upside down. That sometimes those enemies we never imagined could become our brothers, become exactly that. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for inviting us to be a part of this kingdom, Father, that is so inside out, it's so upside down, and you've called us to be your light and your love in this world for all people to see. And so in our very divided world, I pray that we would see past our differences that we would really begin to learn what it means to love everyone, even if it's our enemies. We pray that we would see the world through the eyes of Jesus this week and in the weeks ahead as we enter into those conversations, even around the holidays, Father. Help us to remember that people, all people, are your priority. May you help us as your church, to lead the way in grace and in love and in compassion. And may our world really come to see you through us. May they come to know us because of our love. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let me give you this blessing as you go. Thank you for being here this morning. May the abundant love of God surround you. 
May the extravagant grace of Jesus sustain you. And may the constant presence of the Holy Spirit inspire you and encourage you in everything you do. Go this week. Be loved to those around you. We'll see you next week. Thanks for being here this morning. Thank you for tuning in to Cross Communities Podcast. We hope you will join us next week.